episode of Drinks and Dogs. Um, again, you know, the whole purpose of the, the show in general is just to show different perspectives and, you know, have a bunch of cool dog trainers talking and having a good time and having some drinks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole purpose, again, is, you know, as far as building the community and dog training. Uh, today, I have, you know, two friends of mine, uh, Jake Face, I said it right, from True Loyalty uh, in Minnesota. I've known Jake for a few years now. Um, great Monty Ring decoy, great pet trainer, you know, great all-around person. Uh, and then we have uh, J uh, Jake Scott from Ohio. I got it right that time, not Chicago. <laughs> um, from Heights Canine, uh, another Monty Ring beast, great pet trainer. And you know, something I just found out too. We were just talking about it was the detection side that you that you're doing, um, and you helped me out with a couple of things with that. So these are the Jakes. So good, good, Jake, good Jake and bad Jake. Good, good Jake and bad Jake. So I have my, uh, the seminar that we're going to do over here for you guys is going to have that, uh, that Eminem album, that bad versus evil or bad <laughs> evil, uh, album cover. It's going to be you and, uh, Jake. We just got to get poses like that. So I'm going to have to guys to take pictures so I can have G make that, uh, album cover. <laughs> we'll do it. Dude. So how are you guys doing with the, the whole Rona thing? I mean, we've been shut down for three months. So, stands. Are they planning on opening you guys up anytime soon? We are going to do a soft reopen of the facility June 1st. And it's just going to be a partial reopening because our facility does daycare, boarding, grooming, and training. So, we're just going to reopen for just daycare and grooming initially and then slowly ramp into full services. Uh, the past week or so, Ohio has started to uh, reopen gradually, but as you'd expect, there's been some hiccups and, you know, other industries. So I'm just, I'm trying to be really cautious. Yes. And that's one of the big things like that I've been afraid of over here. Cause I mean, as you guys know, I've had issues with the cities before. So like yeah. for me, I had a lot of dog trainers around here, like they're out and about doing their thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm an easily identifiable person with the face tattoo and just the, the, the beard in the area that I'm in. So like, if I go outside and start training dogs, they're like, oh, that's that motherfucker that was on the news that got in trouble for that thing or like for the city to change my zoning code. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna try to be as cautious as possible, hence all the other online stuff that we're doing. How yeah, we're, uh, you've been doing most of the training outside your place, right? So I only work my, our dogs, like the dogs that I can work in my house at our facility. Um, and I try not to work the dogs like in like a public place too much anymore, just because like over here, like in Gilroy, there's people out like everywhere and there's so many loose dogs that I just don't want to run into a situation where I have to like, I'm working a dog, like in a, a field or, you know, yeah. just like a point of like, now we can't even get access to some of the buildings we had access to before, or even just like outside in front of our house uh, on, in the van, just because I don't want another dog to run up. Cause that's happened to us before where I've had to like, snatch a dog real quick or you know boot one just for, so it doesn't get to like our dogs yep. so i've been you know kind of cautious with everything I plus not like get in been, trouble i feel like it's been worse with the uh coronavirus because um the place that we lived at before huge park i'd always bring my dogs there to work them and it's like the amount of people like quadrupled you know and the amount of off-leash dogs is insane so it was, it's the coronavirus definitely has influenced that for sure. Oh, it's nuts, man. How, how's everything out in Minnesota? Are you guys still shut down too? Or are you guys like in um, any stages of opening up? We're, we're in stages, but it's really, um, 
I guess, slow. Like they're just opening like retail shops and stuff like that and limited amount of people going in. Um, state fair is closed. Super bummed about that, um, especially Mick, uh, yeah. my wife, because that's like her state fair is her jam. So since the state fair is closed, um, yeah, I, I doubt that any big events will be open and stuff like that. What about um? <clears throat> that's funny. <laughs> Shout out to Milk, Jake's wife. I know yeah. I, I mispronounced her name too. <laughs> um, but uh, how's uh? I guess anything with Mondio. How are you guys doing, Mondio? Is there anything on the like national level or world level that's going on? Uh, so we just officially canceled the national championship for this year. I am the chairperson for the national championship committee for United States monitoring. And the event was supposed to be in April. It was supposed to be in Denver. And like Denver, from what I've seen, has had some of the most like restrictive, well, just Colorado in general, restrictive shutdowns. I guess people can't even go like inner county. So we had originally thought to postpone. And then we just made the decision uh, to cancel officially 2020. Now we're looking at planning 2021. We are going to roll everything over. So It'll be Denver 2021, same host, same hosting club, same judge, same decoys, reset, refresh. I think uh, one of the first trials that we're going to be trying to do is actually going to be in Minnesota. Yeah, uh, that's nice. Good. Yeah, in just a couple weeks. And then my buddy George Manley is going to decoy it, and I don't know who the other decoy is. Are you decoying it? No, I, I was going to run Theron, but since his little uh, – his, his tooth pro or teeth problems uh i'm not running them so got it yeah so i mean trials are just gonna start like ramping up and we're gonna see what's up because like aside from the sport we have to just be respectful of whatever like locality what their regulations are yeah. so we'll see i mean it's just a big question mark you know it's huge man like there's like there's like states that are just fully functioning now like completely open like well, gonna say, they reopened bars and restaurants here and it was supposed to be like limited. And then of course, like go to social media and bars are packed shoulder to shoulder. People are yeah. reporting to the health department, like just chaos. And uh, as they reopen more things, like we'll see how respectful people are. And, um, you know, I think that like Ohio's done a good job of like flattening the curve, whatever that may, you know, look like. But when we start reopening things, like it's just a free for all. So we'll <laughs> yeah, see what's no, There's no like a, it, it's super weird. Cause they, like over here, like in California, it's, you know, we, our, our county, Santa Clara County, has like one of the more stricter, I guess, regulations. And they, it varies because like Santa Clara County includes um, San Jose, which is like one of the more highly populated like cities or like cities in California. It's like, that's our, I think it's like number five, like in the U.S. or something. So like they're super highly populated. And then there's Morgan Hill, uh, where our old facility was, uh, which is further south, more like ranches and like farms and stuff, a lot more spread out. Similar to, <clears throat> I would consider it like somewhere like in, uh, in Minnesota, like St. Paul. And then there's like our Gilroy, which is even more farm country and everything like that. So like we're holding the same regulations, even though like I believe like our town or city doesn't even have anything going on because we're in the same county so like the restrictions are crazy like even the chamber of commerce over here they're like they hit up hit up uh whoever's in charge of santa clara county like they send this whole email out this exactly what to say and send it to them so they can open up you know open up at least our town 
because it's just it's killing like small business over here. I mean, everyone's uh, dying out because we don't have like the volume that like San Jose does. Yeah, I mean, so that's been something you know that I've been juggling since March. Um, you know, five six years ago, I was holding a leash every day. And then as our facility grew and our business grew, I turned into HR admin, dealing with the people, dealing with licensing compliance and dealing with our facility and facilities. And so like since March, since we closed, my every day has been combing through like the BS that's posted, trying to find like real information yeah. and then continue to navigate it from like the small business owner side um regardless of industry and then also from like the dog and animal industry specific side and trying to see where we fit because a lot of the stuff coming from like the governor and the county and even the city we aren't mentioned anywhere there was nothing that said that a dog training boarding daycare grooming center yeah. was this that or the other and so trying to figure out who we should align with for the best safe practices for everyone for clients employees um you know, staff and dogs was incredibly difficult because we just were like non-existent. And uh, at least in Northeast Ohio, there's a huge community of dog trainers, and animal professionals that we just weren't represented and we were kind of an afterthought of. And I don't take it like negatively. Like, I mean, just there's so many different tangents of industry to like yeah. track of, but that was a huge challenge at least from like the business owner standpoint is just figuring out like what rules do we follow and when? Yeah, that's the, that was when we talked to the city over here, I called them, I think it was like a week and a half ago. And I was all right. I was like, well, animal care, we can kind we're kind of in there, you know, just as a dog training cause we take care of dogs. And then they're just like, well, you know, you guys aren't labeled. So, so the one of like the major like city people, like in our area was like, just run it and see what happens. It's like, nah, I've already done that. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what happens when I do that. Yeah, I was like, I've done that a couple times. It doesn't really work out well for me. So I'm going to wait for some actual like context to it. Dude, so good, Jake. How's the, the dog training going with you? Are you still, uh, still not compete on? Yeah, I'm still under my non compete. I have price like six five months left so Jesus. until then i'm doing fire door stuff so this week i got i got done at noon today and i put in a like 60 60 hour week nice so it's it's a it's a different job for sure and it's kind of it's kind of crazy because managing my schedule is hard because you never know when you're going to get done. So with the COVID, it's been a lot lighter. But since I moved in to, to the new, new place, um, one of those long days hit. So I, it's been, yeah, it's been crazy. That's been a pain in the ass. And you guys got a new puppy too? Yeah, Riggs. What's the what's the plans with that guy? I'm gonna do I'm gonna do some bird dog stuff with him. I'm gonna uh, mix dad is or he trained bird dogs and bred English pointers for like 17, 20 years. Jesus. And her brothers are super into it. So um, 
I'm like, I want a buffer dog between my, between Theron and my next Malinois. Like, I'll have another Malinois for sure, but I wanted something that would be a little bit more easy going, but something that I can still train and do stuff with. So, so I, I was, I wasn't surprised when I saw you get like another dog that wasn't a Mal. Cause I remember after, I think it was like one of like the sessions we did, like out in a, that park by the police station in St. Paul. Yeah. And that thing, Aaron asked, she's like, would you, so you want to get another, uh, cause Darren was losing his shit. She's like, yeah. so what's that, what's the next dog you're going to get? Like definitely not getting a Malinois again. Just yeah. <laughs> definitely not doing that again. No, I saw yeah. that. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. He's, he was right. He didn't do that. No, he's, he's a lot of dog. And he's he's fun to train and stuff, but he's not practical, you know? So, like, when people come over, I have to put him away because he, he would take someone for sure. He's kind of sketchy. And, yeah. That's, like, the smallest dog ever to me that's, like, ever maybe, like, oh, shit, you're kind of fucking scary. Like, <laughs> And it, so Jake visited me and stayed at the old house and Theron walked in the house. He was in the house for three minutes and then was like, yeah, this is <laughs> and so my roommate at the time comes home and he blows up and she's like, I fucking live here. And he was, <laughs> but like, so that's just it. It's like that dog's got big personality. Like he travels and he establishes himself very quickly <laughs> and then another time i visited jake in minnesota and i was like all right just like watch a movie or something and he was doing something you know wherever and for two full hours theron was in his crate that was under the tv and it's like built in just looking at me growling for two <laughs> hours just growling at me i didn't move watch this bit. just like dude i get it i get it like, it's a lot of dogs yeah, he's definitely, um, that's, that's actually, that's the funny thing. It's like, that's like one of the questions I got, we'll talk about later, but like, that's where like people ask me about like, you know, can sport dogs do like, you know, law enforcement or like personal protection work. And I was like, I think me and I, me and bad JJ Scott, we talked about this before. It's like your dog, the, we talked like one of your dogs, right? Like it's highly, highly titled, but like just a big, like super social butterfly type of dog, right? I have two ring three dogs, one of them anybody can pet and anyone can handle. Like flat out, you can walk up, tell him OPA, and he'll just start healing with you. And then I have another ring three dog that has maliciously bit a few people and he'll hunt you. <laughs> like that's just it. And so, like, you know, you can't just say sport versus real or whatever, because I've sold a few ring sport title dogs that are now police dogs, like just wrecking people like doing the thing and getting good street bites. So like it's the dog, the, the venue that it has competed or trained in is irrelevant if yep. they, what it takes to do what you need. Yeah. Cause Theron, when he was two, I was, I remember I was contemplating whether I, I should move on and do sports stuff or sell them or sell them to like, to a department or something like that, you know? And honestly, I think he'd be happier if he could just bite all day, you know? Like that motherfucker would be, he would definitely be wrecking people. I don't, <laughs> well, I, don't remember, so <laughs> I remember if you remember this, Jake, but we went to, when we were at that park and you sent him out for like a search and like, he came up, like, I was like, I was contemplating even wearing like a top, but I was like, nah, that dog's fucking psycho. So I'm going to wear the, I'm going to wear the top anyways, but I forgot the cup obviously. But I remember he came in around the tree and he just started like, he looked at me and I was like, oh, 
you're not gonna fucking just you're gonna just you're gonna wreck me <laughs> you're just gonna tag me and like i think he came up and like tagged me like in the chest real quick and then he got me like in the groin like i'm real quickly just trying to like move around stuff so i don't have like permanent injuries like he was like you you definitely want that like you <laughs> that's well, it definitely there, yeah and, and then there was a trial with uh jake where he went after uh ryan uh, you were doing a flea attack and you thought it was like a search. Like, he didn't oh, he just left the field. I'm yeah, running. He the field and yeah. and he, towards like the spectators. It was freaking yeah. nuts. And I did like double the attraction because I saw that like shift of focus. Yep. And I was like, no, 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 like, I'm the guy. And the second Jake sent him, gone. <laughs> and that, that little dude bites hard as shit, too. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So, I mean, that's me, so I don't know, but <laughs> you've uh, well, you've worked him before, right? Before you got hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that day, he he did not bite me as he chose to exit and <laughs> go do his other stuff. He's like, nah, I'm cool. I'm gonna go do some other shit. I'm gonna wreck somebody for real. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and do some questions. All right, so this is a good question, especially for you guys, because you guys have both uh, competed in decoys or you know decoying in trial. Um, but uh, I got a question from Liz Galvin, uh, and it's how to how about becoming a decoy, and only experience is just training dogs. So she wants to know just how to become a decoy, and like you know basically any advice that you guys would have for that. Um, really funny. My girlfriend just commented on this. She almost became a decoy accidentally the same way as that story. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is something you have to have a mentor for, in my opinion. Like, you cannot just go and start getting bit by dogs and, like, figure this one out without at least having someone to kind of guide you through the ways. Because you're going to mess up a dog. You're going to mess up yourself. Um, it's one of those things that I would... Just like I've said in other lives I've done recently, find one area of interest and learn it. Whether you have a French ring club near you, Mondi ring club, IPO, or a really forward-thinking police group that's willing to work with you, but I would find someone to steward you into decoying because there's a lot you can do wrong for your safety and the dogs, and there's a lot you can do wrong that is counterintuitive to the progress of the dog, which is what this is all about, is training, building, and working the dog. So that's my advice. It's, it's not necessarily like one avenue specific, but find what's accessible to you. Because if you find a French ring club six hours away and that's the closest thing, that's what you want to do, you're not going to stick with it. I don't care who you are. Like, it's not realistic. Find what's local to you. Find what's something that you can really dive into. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% because I definitely got lucky. I, um, I saw a video of someone doing Mondia ring when I was in college and i was like how how do you get in the suit how do you get bit by dogs and then like uh a week or a week or two weeks later i was training up in harris minnesota with lisa geller who's kind of one of the ogs to monitoring and then two weeks after that i was um getting taught by fernando uh dosta so i I got plugged into a really good group with some experience um, right away. So I 
I definitely got lucky. I did the same thing. Uh, Mondiering was the most relevant sport close to me. Um, I trained with Todd Dunlap, and I belong to West Penn Mondiering Club. Even though I'm in Ohio, it's just over the border. It was 50 minutes from my old house. And so I lucked out in being able to find a mentor in a reasonable drive. And I started going out there and training as a handler. But then when I made the decision to jump in the suit, I had access to the guidance of someone experienced and skilled to take me under their wing, keep me safe, keep the dog safe, and make sure that I learned things from the ground up and I didn't get ahead of myself. So again, accessibility. If there was a French ring club closer, I could have gone that route originally. If they're, you know, IPO, IGP closer, same thing. It's just I found a active group that was able to work with me close by. Yeah, because I, in, like, I, I, I could have went to PSA, IPO, you know, or IGP, but it was what was, what was there. So I, yeah. I followed it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I completely agree. You definitely got to find a mentor. I mean, I know because I came from like the rugby side, and then I started getting introduced to more of like, you know, shits. I got to choose shits, and I saw that for the first time. And like the first time I saw it, because I from coming from rescue, and I walked onto like the San Jose German Shepherd Club field, and I saw you know my mentor, who became my mentor, Terry Macias, and them handling a dog, and I was like, holy shit! Like, like this, <laughs> this is like for real, for real, because you know they're prong collars and dogs biting people and I just thought it was awesome and then he kind of just said he's like well he's like you know at the time I was boxing so he's like hey, he's like well you should have good footwork so let's go ahead and start teaching you like the mechanics and everything of how to use the sleeve um and you know like the footwork so I started working with him and they kind of just developed and I started I got kind of I mean as you guys probably I mean you guys are involved in sport but I got kind of got burnt out with the politics of sport um and I just started learning other things um you know in the suit search everywhere for someone to help me uh, just to learn more mechanics of the suit. And finally I found another mentor, my Dave, when I worked with um, some DOD dogs and he was just kind of teaching me about like, you know, muscle flexing and all this other stuff and like rewarding the dogs for digs and all this other yeah. things. I felt like those was just way better. So it just became a, it now, like now, obviously I put my guys through the ringer uh, when it comes to, you know, anyone who wants to apprentice for me, like I put them through like shit that I had to go through. Um, maybe it's not as bad, but you know, I'll make my guys run around with suits do ground movements when we had like the van at the other shop i'll put my guys like in a, in, a, in a hot van in the suit for like 15 20 minutes and like make them come out and run again and then work a dog and do some other stuff so they understand the mechanics of it or like just working tired uh, and then we work like a bunch of technical stuff so it's a uh, if you want basically the answer to your question liz gavlin would be uh find a mentor and something that's reasonably close to you so you can stay consistent yes let's see so this actually, you know, the one thing we should probably um, touch on too is that because I this is a question I'm getting consistent consistently is always, you know, what's the difference between a sport dog and you know, quote unquote, a real dog? Um, what is your opinions on that? Jake, you probably know this better than I would. Just what exercises have you taught it? Have you taught it to wait at your side while a decoy agitates and then go and bite someone under the guidelines of a sport exercise? Have you taught it to go extract a person from a car? Like in general, it's what the dog knows. At the baseline, you do need a certain set of characteristics to succeed on like the real side, like police canine. 
Um, but at the same time, like it really, aside from like those genetic building blocks, it's just what training the dog's been taught because you can take a banger of a police dog and walk onto a ring field and get zero out of zero points because you as the handler don't know the exercises and the dog doesn't know the exercises. And you can take a ring dog who probably should have been a police dog and step into the police world and fail everywhere because he's never been shown those things. Um, you can definitely compete in sport with dogs that do not have necessarily like very deep drives. Um, I prefer using like shallow and deep rather than like high and low drive because like you can have some real high drive dogs and then it can get shut off real quick. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you can have some like kind of like shallow drive dogs who can still make it through some stuff. So do they have the genetic building blocks to face what the world has out there? And then have you taught it what one or the other looks like? I think that's really it for me. Like how I view. Yeah. And there's like, uh, like, point dogs that put up good points you know they might not be the driviest or whatever but they shallow but they can complete that series of exercises yep and they put up good numbers and then there's like a dog who's just, just because a dog's a good hitter you know and bites well and has a lot of drive doesn't mean they're going to do well in sport you know i mean that's that's a huge thing uh ring sport specifically mondial ring and french ring don't judge grips so you can have a dog that hangs on with one tooth and it's fine. And it can put up big points because that out is scored too. And it's easy to let go of that one tooth. And then you can get some dogs that come in there with these big crushing brutal grips and they lose all the outing points. They got held off in the entry maybe. So like, again, it's what they know, what abilities the trainer had, but you do need a certain kind of like genetic foundation to do the quote unquote real side but that doesn't mean that a dog that's performing sport currently doesn't possess that it just means whatever that handler's doing with that dog happens to be a sport well yeah. and there was a, there was a time when i was in ohio and i was decoying and um for west penn and jake was there and i worked this dog and like how come he didn't use a whistle like how come why did that guy call his dog back he's like oh that dog did some like uh police or security work or whatever and, uh everybody on the field was a little sketched out because he's done live bites before remember that yeah i'm trying to think what dog that was there's been a couple dogs that came around here that wanted to kind of like cross between the two but again at that point the biggest liability became the handler if the handler didn't understand how the field operates yeah. the components of the field where judges are where field help are it, it wouldn't be anyone's fault but that dude's if his dog went off and bit someone. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, we do something I like we do a lot. Of, we don't do so much sport, but, you know, I kind of cross train and everything's like hybrid for me. Like, I, you know, I'll teach dogs lower body. I'll teach dogs upper body. If, if someone comes in, they want to do shit, and like I do their helper work, you know, like for them, like I just want to create like the biggest, hardest hitting dog that they can have. And like, we'll still operate within the sport system. Cause just like what you guys are saying, it's like, you still got to have, you know, they still got to score points. You know, they still got out. They still got to do the exercises. I mean, I remember there's this dog named like Yoshi and my old uh, mentor, Terry, he wanted to get this dog as a, as a German shepherd, but he bit so hard, like on his shits and sleep because how they worked him and just like his genetic capabilities that he just couldn't title on anything because of how hard he would bite. He couldn't actually pop the sleeve out. 
for like the like the revere like or in the blind like the dog just couldn't actually get his mouth off of the sleeve because like just how hard he'd been he just ended up coming in i think they ended up selling him to be like a law enforcement dog uh, i think he, i don't know i think i think he did work as leo um but i mean like the same thing like for us like you know we just we don't really train specifically for a sport like for me like i just want to create like the most like hybrid version of it so the dog can work you know in, in a sport world be clean and safe and then also can work in a real world because essentially when we sell like you know personal protection dogs they they can't have that super sharp edge like all the time because what's the purpose of that but they have to have the ability to you know work in that world too something like that's another uh another thing that like you know that we focus on at least over here in primal canine All right. I forgot the pen. I'm gonna do another one here. All right. Um, Jake, bad Jake. I'm gonna let you take this one. Um, dog barks outside because of uh, of their reactivity or reactiveness. Would you crate them or would when not monitored? Yeah. If you don't want to do it and you can't interrupt the behavior because you're not there. Yes. I thought uh, you were making a different question that I may or may not know the person who asked it, but that was a good one. But yeah, if you cannot be present to mitigate a behavior, then using control measures such as a crate or even a bark collar are very appropriate. <laughs> Like I like baiting like Bad Jake and then KD with those questions too because I just know like inside I feel like there's just like something that's happening like this is the amount of fury that's probably in there. I've never talked like dog training with KD. I've only talked suits because he has a Kura suit um, that Jake laid out for him, and then I, you know, got squared away for him. So I don't know what side of the thing he falls on, but like I just view dog training as extraordinarily practical and. Yeah. Like, sorry, it's an animal. Thanks for itself. And um, yeah, if you can't be there to give information um, and there's a problem, it's very simple to just remove the dog from that equation to prevent it. Well, and when you think about it too, dog training is really simple. It's teaching a dog what you want, what you don't want, you know? Like that's, exactly. that's what and if you're not there to enforce those rules after they learned it, kind of unfair it's kind of productive yeah yeah I think that's like a huge problem that we face like all the time especially well i mean um good jake you i mean when you did like the day training stuff you know like you know you lay all this foundation and you do all this you know do all this work like for us when we do like our board and train you know we, we lay all this foundation and we create this communication system so they have the people understand and we try to keep it as practical as possible like Hey, like you do this when they do something good, you do this when they do something bad, you keep them in the crate, you manage this position and you do all yeah. these other things. So it's like, you know, making sure that and like for some reason it's just and it, one thing I've noticed, too, and it's only in California. I've because we've I've traveled throughout like the country now, like doing seminars and everything. But like only in California, like the concept for some reason is just too much for people to handle. It's like you have a live animal inside your house, but you want them to be free and like do all this other stuff what do you think they're gonna do like what like that's like, in ohio too so like i genuinely want training clients to be successful the yeah. end like i do not want to perpetually take money from you to constantly train the same thing over and over i want to do a program i want to establish good behaviors 
teach you how to handle. And I want you to succeed. I want to follow up with you and have you say, I'm really enjoying walking my dog. I'm able to include my dog in X, Y, or Z family activity. And a lot of my phone assessments for the last year have been no, you do not need a board and train program. Like I flat out tell people no repeatedly, 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 because generally their expectations of what can be accomplished are either like so far from what's possible and I kindly educate them, or it's something that it's that simple, that barking thing where it's like, check it out. If your neighbors are getting upset while you're at work and your dog's barking, Garmin makes a really cool, smart bark collar. Yeah. They- <laughs> yeah and- but I've had people, I've literally had that, and I followed up with them, and they're like, man, that Garmin thing's great. Is it gives you a readout how many times the dog barked yep. and when, and they're able to start seeing these patterns. And like, I didn't need to take someone's money to just tell them how they could mitigate a problem in five minutes on the phone. They'd never heard of a bark collar, or they thought they were cruel, and they didn't know that there was something out there that was more like progressed and advanced. The end. That's simple. It doesn't have to be rocket science. And, yep. you know, but th- we do get a lot of people that want a robot. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Well, and the, the, the company that I worked for um, before, they guaranteed behavior. So, like, after four weeks, like, hey, we guarantee, like, a list of, it was like 10 behaviors, right? Shit. And then the. Clients would come in and we're like, hey, this is, these are the expectations, right? Like, this is what you can expect. And they were like, wow, like, you don't seem as confident as, like, the company or the website. It's like, no, but this is reality, you know? And so it's like the, it's just, giving people realistic expectations, right? So if like, this is what you want, hey, this is how we can get here, but it doesn't have to be um, guaranteed, you know? Like it doesn't have to be like, hey, we train four behaviors. It's like, hey, these four behaviors can help with this, or we train this that can help manage whatever situation. Yeah, that's like one of the big things like with our board and train program, is like I'll tell people like all right, write a list of goals. Um, once your dog is here, you know we're gonna go over those goals because we do like a minimum stay, but we'll extend our stay if we need to. If the dogs aren't there, or we'll send the dogs home if they're like too stressed or whatever is going on, or like you know like when they hit that like mental cap when they've been with you for so long. So like, I was like, you know, we'll send them home and then we'll you know bring them back into the pro- uh, program later. It's like, but you have to do these transition lessons, and then you know because we have like a we call it it's like our lifetime training so like once you're in the board and train you can train with us for life and we'll continuously work your dog through it but that's the one thing i always tell them is like you know it's not you're, these dogs aren't programmable robots like they're even like us as people like you know when it comes to like fitness or like doesn't do anything like that once you stop you know working on it you're gonna lose it or like if you have a behavior that you're trying to fix like within yourself or like trying to grow in as, as, as a certain way like you have to stay consistent to build so why is that expectation for the dog to be better than that? Like, all right, cool. They did two weeks or whatever, how long they did the 10 things with Jake, uh, yeah. with good Jake. It's like, all right, now you're going to maintain this forever. Like, well, so aren't that way. Think about if people applied that. So my surgeon told me six months post-op, I'd be walking 80% and gradually returning to sport. Uh, my surgery was October 31st, Halloween. Walking to the mailbox three or four times a week 
is like the highlight of my physical activity. Oh, like highlight. What if I was blowing him up being like, you promised me. <laughs> and, like, and that's how it works. Like there's variables at play here. Uh, Eric Sambro's at my house and he watched me go down the front steps. He's like, are you allowed to do that shit? <laughs> <laughs> he's keeping me in check because the last time I saw him, I'd kind of overextended and I told him, he's like, don't do dumb shit. So yeah. like, it's one of those things that like people need to realize that like there are limitations to what a dog can accomplish. So jumping back to that sport versus real, there are limits to what that dog can accomplish in either venue. And it's okay. The dog is what it is. And so on the pet side of stuff, we do five behaviors in our board and train. Three, four, or five week board and train, it's dictated by how much work that dog needs to get them to our kind of like minimum. But we do sit down, heal, recall, and a place command. And we use those things and we create habitual behaviors. But I'm not guaranteeing them. Yeah. I'm going to coach you how to work through problems because you will have problems things are gonna break i can't guarantee what that living breathing thinking animal is going to do but i can help you continue to be successful and so this has taken this huge turn from one simple question about barking outside but like <laughs> it drives me nuts with these dog trainers that promise things and some of the worst of in rescue and behavior stuff hey your dog that's killed three cats and bit your daughter i got this give me two weeks four thousand dollars therapy dog and like that sounds like an exaggeration but i think all three of us know someone that you know someone that would take that money 100 yeah. say that today so as jokingly as you said that that is something i've fucking heard from like a client that someone's guaranteed like it wasn't like four it was like it's gone to like five dog fights and it just bit my kid in the face but like this other person said in two weeks they'll get all these behaviors done and i'm like Oh, don't. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do dogs are dogs and dogs do stupid shit, you know? Like, yeah. they, they, they do things unexpected, you know? Yeah. I, as a small business owner, consult with a team of people, one of them being an attorney. And all the time we talk about this, and he's been with us for six years, and he's like, this is the worst industry I have ever worked. <laughs> like, when we're going over just what we do so he fully understands what are we committing to clients what are we doing with their animal and he's just like the variable of the unknown with what this dog has going on in its head and then what those humans do with it is the most like liability rot devastatingly like i would tell you to stay a thousand miles away from if i could because you can't manage this and the thing that really haunts me is I can explicitly explain things and you got, you guys both know I'm a talker. I can tell you such fine detail and that person turns around and comes back and is like, sorry, didn't hear it. Uh, so my dog will be good. And you're like, no, no, sorry. So like, yeah. Um, come back to that original question. The most black and white, simple thing. Dog barks outside and you're gone. Manage him with a crate or a bark collar when you're not there. Yeah, I'm following now. Let's let's get another question now. Yeah, that one went. Uh, that one. <laughs> that one went deep. That one went awry real quick here. Not me barking. All right, this is a good one. I can't even. I think it's M X N X K A. I don't even know how to pronounce that, or if there's any way to pronounce that. Uh, examples of corrections you use. Also, uh, when you start using corrections uh, for puppies. 
puppies. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. My puppies do whatever they want for ages. And how do I get away from having things destroyed? Oh, I manage the environment. So <laughs> I make sure that my dog's in a setting where I don't need to correct them. Um, Jake, you jump into this because you have a puppy right now. That's super yeah. relevant. So I manage everything that he does. Like I make his world smaller. So if I don't want him to do a bad behavior, like he's either created, tethered to me or in a, in an X pen, you know? And then when I can manage it and I have my full attention on him, then I have him out doing stuff, but I don't, I set him up for success versus failure, you know? Yep. So that's, that's the biggest thing is just like, Hey, ask yourself when you're in a situation, is your, is your dog going to fail or are they going to succeed? If they're going to succeed, then go for it. But if they're going to fail, like how do you keep them from failing? You know, manage it. <clears throat> what age do you guys classify puppies in though? Eight months and under. Jake. Oh man. Like for me, I, I have ex uh, expectations, but you know, in the, that saying, like your brain doesn't fully mature until you're 25, right? Like, pretty sure I'm 35 and this thing hasn't matured at all yet. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, a dog doesn't fully mature until they're two. You know, once a dog's two, then it's like, all right, I can really expect a little bit more from you. But until they're two, it's like, all right, I'm my job is to put my arm around you and show show you what's up, you know, to show you what to do and what not to do. I think I make that jump from puppy at like eight months to like young adult or adolescent. And I say that a lot with clients and I kind of think that to myself, um, but I still treat them with a lot of management, probably up until two, two and a half but I don't necessarily call them a puppy. I definitely call them like a young adult or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and for us, like our board and trains at work, I'm not interested in working with a dog under eight months, if not a year old, because that like biological clock, we can't rush it. They have to be like mature enough to do like mature dog things. And even like holding a long place for like 45 minutes, an hour, like actively holding it, like knowing what they're doing, not falling asleep on it. I can't expect that of anything younger. And so, yeah, I still say like eight months as a puppy, but like Jake said, up to like two, like that's a young dog that needs a lot of guidance regardless. Yeah. Of what you're and, and, you're, and you're just showing them, like I just show them stuff like Riggs, my puppy, who's, I think he's like four or five months old now. Like I just let him be a puppy. I manage him. I don't expect him not to do stuff you know, or really to do stuff. I'm just showing him things, you know, it's like, if he does it great, I reward it. If he doesn't, then whatever, you know, like I don't have these like super high expectations for a puppy. Um, your puppy had the coolest name before you changed it. Just saying, by the way. What? Oh yeah. That's awesome. What was your puppy's name? <laughs> Mud. Mud. <laughs> So hunting dog, that's amazing. Yeah. So what the deal was was if I if I got another dog, the wife could name it. So Mick chose Riggs, so she could she was the one who was able to uh, rename it. But it's one of the best names I've ever heard. 
rigs. Like it's fantastic. It's good. It's good. Is is a uh, is making the room with you? Because I just saw you like. Oh, sorry, man. I didn't mean to throw you in the bus. So I have three dogs playing in the backyard. I have. Mix friends, golden retriever, and then my uh, younger sister's uh, border collie, and then Riggs just ripping it in the backyard. So, Dude, how's that fucking uh, the mountain wall that you guys that you uh, you rescued? He, he's sister. doing well. Like he's doing search and rescue stuff. So he he was going to be um, put down because he had some separation issue or separation anxiety slash like crate anxiety stuff. Um, and he tore his leg open when he was at the shelter and, uh, the shelter's like, well, we, we don't have the funds to take care of this. So we're just going to put the dog down. So I had, I want to say like five people reach out to me saying like, Hey, you, you know, Malinois, like, can you help him out? And I was like, well, I don't have this space right now. So I reached out to my younger sister. She took him in. I helped him work through the crate stuff and trying to um, like destroy the crate and stuff like that. And then now he's doing some search and rescue stuff. So super cool. That's dope. I remember when uh, Emily um, from forever uh, hit up Aaron and then Aaron was like, all right, I got to reach out to Jake. And then next thing you know, like, I think like I asked her, I saw something like on like your guys' like Instagram. I was like, Oh shit. He went and got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we helped him out and it was cool because it was lit when that happened it was the week before i got married so trying to manage that and figure that out i was like oh this is crazy but i'm i'm glad he's doing something now yeah, that's dope so uh, i think let's see oh so for me essentially what the guy said that's essentially what i do i mean like for me it's always about the reps i was at tell my clients like how much reps does your dog know the behavior do they understand this and then we can start talking about correction uh, when it comes to like a puppy, like I, I was talking to um, Mike Nesbeth from Grassroots and Katie the last week, and he's like, "Okay, he's like, because the dog wouldn't go into a down." I think that was the question, what it was, or the, how do you know if your dog knows a down? And without removing the lure, with removing the lure, he's like, "Move your hand like this and say down." If your dog doesn't understand, you know, the verbal, the verbal uh, marker, or the verbal understanding of what down means, and you, the dog just follows the food, then the dog doesn't understand the actual command. And like that was like the thing I always like to tell all my clients. I'm like, you have to make sure your dog understands the stuff before we even start getting into the aspect of correcting a behavior um, or correcting, you know, positional obedience stuff, especially with puppies. Because I mean, like you guys all said, you know, just there to show the world and make sure that they're not set up for failure or anything like that. I like that a lot. The doing the like reverse lure. I've never done that. My big thing is changing the picture. If you can sit in a chair and start telling your dog to do stuff. Like if you change your picture that drastically, they probably know it. Yep. But I like that reverse lure thing. Yeah, Because most pet people, they go sit, right? They lure. It's like if you can yeah. be in a totally neutral position and say the command, and your dog does it, then they know that. Then they know it. You know? Yeah, they have a reasonable understanding at that point. I would say. Yeah. So going into. Jake, you mentioned about the SAR stuff, um, search and rescue. And then obviously I know a uh, bad Jake, you understand, you know a lot about the detection. Um, this is a question from venture dogs or venture underscore dogs on Instagram tips for staying focused around wildlife during a long search slash detection slash SAR. 
This is all you guys. That's outside of my wheelhouse because search and rescue, like the duration of those searches are way beyond anything that I'm preparing a dog for. Um, I have done some like private narcotic searches with a company I worked for before. And we did some like multi-hour, like very large office building searches, warehouse searches. And I just swapped dogs because I had the ability to work more than one dog. And I just knew that, hey, we have a really long day to go cover this six-story warehouse. Um, but when it comes down to like a long search, uh, out of my wheelhouse, I wouldn't even want to take a guess. I'd rather have someone that's done it, you know, yeah. jump through it. Yeah. So, Jake? <laughs> yeah, no. I would, if I could shine any light on it, I would say short and sweet. You know, like just build up to those long searches, you know, like – do something short and just go from there, you know, but yeah. otherwise I, I have no experience with that. And that would be a, that's something that we will have to, I can't even get in, wouldn't even be able to get into that. <laughs> like the no. most I know about like search and rescue is like how they started off with like using the toy and having some go hide, someone go hide in the like, you know, a tree, like to go you know look for the toy or something like that. Like that's the most I know about that. I can't even. I would talk to Kyle Briley, Georgia Police Canine Foundation. They have a bunch of bloodhounds in their units and in their area. And like, so of course, like a short search is whatever. You get a dog out to like, oh, we lost Jake. <laughs> oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> you get a dog out to do like a vehicle sniff or whatever. Like, cool. You need like five minutes of working aptitude from your dog. But if you're gonna go just like into BFE somewhere. And be like, hey, for the next eight hours, I'm searching for someone. That's way different. But, yeah. So when they're like doing like man trailing and tracking with those bloodhounds, um, I have a feeling that that is more relevant in like that wheelhouse, and that's someone who might have some really good insight into what that entails. All right. So what was his name again? Kyle Riley. R I L E Y. Awesome. So, and that's, that's the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. He runs all that stuff. If you see them on social media, does a pretty good job. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, when you may be able to get a qualified guess on that one. All right, here's a good one since you guys are both in sport. Um, depending on, and this applies on everything really, uh, depending on taking bites from your own sport dog, some do it, some say you never should. I work the shit out of my own dogs. I, I work my dog too. Uh, I actually have a girl in my club who handles Theron, and then I take bites from him. Yeah. How the hell? Like that's like the one thing. Like that's for me. Like that's one of the things I learned like years ago. Like when I was doing this, I was like, you know, don't work their own dogs. Like I started finding like this like foundational thing, like with my dogs. Like I understood like because I square up on them, but like especially like the levels that you guys got to, like where. Where do you guys draw the line when you guys are working your guys' own dog, when you're working your own dog? Nowhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, Jake and I decoyed Mondering Nationals last year, and yeah. I was coming off of an injury. Duh. And I'd been out of the suit for four months and, like, going through rehab and stuff. And I got to fly to Belgium for one week to, like, train. That was it. I had one full week in Belgium. Uh, Tommy Vershoren and his stepdad and their club hosted me and, like, put me through the ringer, but then I came home and I needed to like work it up for the next two. So my neighbor came over every day and handled pager 
and I just did the, you know, the thing. And I mean, like he ran him down to the point where like walking up to the house, he's like dragging his face on the like grass. He's like, I'll still bite you at the house. But like, you know, we worked him out like 30, 40 attacks every afternoon. And then whatever, man. I mean, it's a learned behavior. Was that Bite at the old place? What's that? Was that at the old place? That was at the Jefferson house. So, like, we had, like, this great – are you thinking about the one that was, like, in the middle of the suburbs? Yeah. Oh, because I worked him there, too. We no, had – like he worked him in the front yard. Like he'd work him in yeah. the front yard, and then he'd like, get him out of the car and work him. The neighbors um, would just were so confused. I did some ridiculous shit with that at that same house. I was trying to nicely get Ava in the van. Uh, that's my girlfriend's French ring dog, and I didn't have like a good relationship with the dog, and she was loose. And so I went and stood where we usually do some barks, and I called her to bark, 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 and I gave her a bite, and I escorted her into the van. Crate, <laughs> we went, but no, like, I mean, I, I lived in Jefferson for a minute, which is like out in like Amish country, and we had like more property and we had a whole field out there, so we just you know beat the brakes off it, did the thing, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was last year preparing for a national championship, is what it is. Didn't harm anything, I got the reps I needed, and I made sure to interject through those sessions reps that were going to be beneficial to that dog. So I wasn't trying to pull a move, pull a move, pull a move. I would go through the steps on something that Tommy had coached me through. And then the next repetition was me coaching my dog through it and just back and forth, making sure that I was building me up and building him up. And then the only reason I didn't do Ty is the only other person that handles Ty is Alicia. Um, he's trained in Hebrew. You need to actually say his stuff right. And then he's so like, again, you have to have a relationship with them. Pager, doesn't matter. Um, I was doing dog and white at a trial. Dog and white is the demo dog before competition starts at each level. And we were going to use Page level three, but I wasn't competing at level three. And a competitor, I might have actually been a spectator, had a problem with it. So while they were arguing and going back and forth and being dumb about it, Tommy Vershoren walks up, stands next to Pager, goes, Pager, opiate, and starts healing off. And he's like, let's go. Like, and he handled Pager the rest of it. And I was like, there, is it fine? Like, I'm no longer handling. And they were cool. With it. He's like, all right, whatever. But so, like, that's just it. When you have a dog that's, like, that clear and understanding the rules, I think there's no problem. Like, Pager has no edge whatsoever. Like, it's all structured. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't ever not work my own sport dog. It, and it, it, like, uh, there's a girl in my club that she trains very similarly or similar to the way that I train. And so she works Theron, and Theron does great for her, and I can work him any way. So if I want to work him in accessories or like a stick or an escort or whatever, it's, it's nice because I know my dog and I can train him on the exercise. Um, and she can do the prep line stuff and the start line stuff and does that well, you know, so it, it, it works out for me because I don't have the acts, uh, I don't have decoys, you know, I don't have, um, decoys that I can use all the time. So it makes it a little bit more challenging. 
shit, you might have me over there in a fucking second if California decides to extend this bullshit. Mm. I already told Aaron, I was, I'm going to pack the dogs, <laughs> pack the dogs in the van, get an RV, and grab Ivy, and then we're going to get the fuck out of here if they try to keep pulling us out of this thing. Like, right, we're, they need to go start working some more stuff. But uh, over here. Yeah, I got hit, hit him up, <laughs> hit you guys up. But uh, for me, like, I, because I, I think there's a certain level that you get to, like, when you're working a dog, like, civilly. Like, for me, like, hidden sleeve work. Once I get to a point where I'm doing, like, hidden sleeve work, when I'm starting doing muzzle work, when I'm starting to do this other stuff that we do for, like, our personal protection and um, law enforcement, like, there's just certain edges I won't cross because I've, you know, Jake, you met Cerberus. Um, like, I worked him. I did his foundation, but I did a little too much with his civil stuff. So I, the first time I put him in front of a decoy, and I think he was only, I think it was, like, seven or eight months. He I told him that the decoy was agitated, told him the word. Service went right back at me and got me like three times in the stomach. Yeah. Like you just, just from the work as a direct association with that. I firmly believe that was like on my fault on like what I did uh, with this foundation work and like what I was working with them on. And I think I went too far, but like, you know, like Lucy, um, you know, I worked Lucy's, I got her foundation work, built her grips, made sure that they were where they were at. And I, after she was like eight months, I just switched her over or basically switched off. I don't work her anymore. And then Zilla, you know, who's Ozzy's son, I, I mean, I can probably work him because he's sporty and like he literally has like, there's no mal, there's like no malice to that dog. Like everything is fun. Everything is like we're good. Like I can work him on like on the suit, but like you know I can't add really any pressure to him on that because he still has like that relationship with me. And then there's like Aaron's dog. You know, someone people ask me this shit all the time, and I'm like, I always say the same response to it. Like Ozzy is like, he's like, I would not, I I could not handle that dog if. Like if anything ever happened, I was like, that dog wouldn't murder me because I've already gone so far into like, you know, just the civil stuff with him and the understanding of like, kind of like what you talked about, like the exercises and the routines, like he understands me now as like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you're one that you're, you're someone who can get, you know, get lit up if shit gets, you know, if she tells me to. Well, it's, I think it's dogs. See, they see things in pictures, right? So yep. if you film certain, certain pictures and they're used to that picture then they're gonna do it you know so whether it's for like sports stuff or let's say you're the one that gets bit most time then like definitely could happen you know uh something really funny so we got a dog trotter you know a slap mill yeah. and uh ty won't run on it for his ball won't won't run out for a wedge Nope. I threw on a hidden sleeve and threw a hoodie on over it and I like puffed up at him and he started booking it. <laughs> so like he's willing to like really bite me in his head to yeah. like that thing. But it's funny, his entire ring career from his obedience titles through Mondial Ring 3, he's worked for one single gap A ball. It's the same ball and he'll oh, spit other balls. Like he has the magic ball that we've somehow kept track of for the last six years. And he wouldn't run for that. And I'm sitting there in the garage or old house. I'm like, what the fuck? And he's just like ears pinned, like being all like, you know, bummed out. And so I thought I was doing that being funny. And then he was like, it's on. And I was yeah. like, all right, <laughs> never mind. And then you get Pager who Pager runs, jumps on the thing and is trying to like push and make it go. And it's just big stupid. So. I, I gotta send you guys a video of uh, our dogs' routines. It's literally like they come out of like the, the kennels because all our dog trotter and our dog pacer are like right next to like their kennels. So like now like uh, set the new puppy I have. 
which I think like with her, like her edge is a little as a little sharp there. So with her, I, don't, I think I'm gonna stop working her when she's around eight nine months. Um, but they literally will jump out of the fucking like of their kennels when we let them out for potty runs. They go to the restroom and I let them back in the house, and then they're just on that trotter like three of them, like Lucy, Set, um, Cerberus, and Zilla. They literally just will hop onto that thing and just start hauling ass for like no reason, like just like just because they want to get on there and you know go. Yeah. So the answer to the question is, there is no answer. These guys, <laughs> these guys work their dogs in the routine, in the routines of like you know the the sport that they train in. Um, I don't really follow a routine in the in that space. I'm not training for sport. I train for a little bit different things. Um, I, I personally won't work my dogs past the certain things as far as you know bringing defense or civil stuff. Once I know I'm gonna handle it, I did that with Zilla. Uh, once I started transferring them over, like started working because that was gonna be. You know, um, Aaron's other dog she had to handle specifically, and I stopped working him because he started like our relationship because I do I do all the main OB too in the beginning, so like you know all the foundation work with him like you can kind of see like with him he was like the fuck like it, it just wasn't like clear for him like he couldn't draw the line, so like now I just work him for if I do like demo stuff but eventually he'll go back to biting other people. Well, and, and with sport dogs too, it's funny because they once they know like the decoy's voice, you know, it's like they're they might be sitting in the truck being wait or waiting to work, and then they hear someone come out, and they're like, "Oh, I know that voice," you know, and yeah. they get amped up. So, yeah, definitely. at that point. All right, next question. This is on the pet side here. Um, advice for training, and this is from Gnarly Dog Gang. Um, advice for training a tiny do- or tiny dogs with little food, uh, little uh, motivation for food, even after a couple days of withholding. You guys ever run into that? Yeah, a lot. And um, I don't get to the couple days of withholding. Like if if I'm having an issue and it's like ongoing it's time to troubleshoot like i'm not going to wait it out um i definitely put like dog care first dog training second so i try to think as much as i can about what's going to be like the least conflict and the most successful and that comes again like full circle from where i started dog training where i thought anything is possible and everything's possible and now i just try to be realistic like reassess if what I'm working on is necessary because there's some stuff that like the dog doesn't need it. Like yeah. I can think of an example right now, but like there's some things that people ask where it's like, for why, like for what purpose does this dog need to perform this? Um, little dogs, I've had really good luck with low level e-collar stuff. And the only thing, and it's like a visual thing for the client is seeing that box yep. when it's the same size as the dog's head. And like the e-collar micro, the box is almost the same footprint, but it's dramatically thinner, like depth wise and it's lighter. But so that's just it is, bye Jake. I almost immediately then at that point about, you know, using the e-collar and trying to be fair with pressure and release and kind of reevaluate what I'm gonna do. I don't have just one way to do it. I would love to start every dog motivationally with food, but if they don't have it, I need to get cruising and yep. find what to work. No, I, I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah, it's um so like that's like the one thing that I've dealt with because we 
you know, I'll touch like close to 40 dogs a month. And it's been like that for like the last like seven years. So it's like, you know, we, I work with a lot of variety of dogs and dogs who like aren't necessarily food motivated, you know, although like all of our dogs do end up working for their food. It's just kind of, for me, it's like just like what we're doing and how we're doing it. And also like, you know, what you know, Badjay said, you know, it's, what is this dog even like capable of doing? Like there's certain genetic limitations and even just limitations in the dog uh, that they can have, but you know, going into, oh, hey, the, the, the micro or the mini, that can, that we flip that sideways too, because that thing has like multiple things there. We had that, we had a dog that Lee, uh, we talked about earlier, um, he was working a dog named Sausage. The fucking thing is this big. Like the, the, he's like this big and like he was on e-collar because you have to kind of be fair in the level of correction that you're giving him. You can't like pull on him and like, you know, the dog was super reactive, like very reactive to people, like, you know, very reactive to dogs. And like, he literally thought he was like feet tall. Um, so, you know, we had to figure out what was the way of correcting and how can we reward him uh, in the way that would be fair to him. And he built, you know, the retainable behavior. So we kind of had to finagle it, but like, you know, that's the one thing I always tell, like, you know, all of our clients is like, sometimes, you know, you got to call an audible if there's certain things that you have to change and adapt. Like, you know, we have, we, we call it balance. We are our tailored balance, balance training, but you know, it's always independent on the dog that's in front, you know, making sure that we, you know, I'll, I mean, like, like we use like happy hours. Sometimes I'll throw like hot dogs in their food or sometimes like I won't go to a certain extent when it comes to with withholding, but it depends on like the behaviors that we're working with. If I'm just trying to establish like, general obedience or if I'm just trying to correct a, a behavior that's like, you know, like reactivity or, you know, aggression and all those other stuff where the dog's life's on the line, you know, then we figure out where it is. But with little ones, you know, I try to, we try to basically put them mostly on e-collar just so you can be a little more fair and consistent because, you know, that physical strength that most people will utilize, especially if they're frustrated with the dog reacting or any like that stuff can be too much for that dog, you know, even though they're a dog, you know, they're still, they're still physically um, impaired in the way that if you yank them like this, like a German Shepherd, they're going to get hurt, you know, or anything like that. So, Yeah, no, I mean, that's been a struggle my entire professional like training career is figuring out how to scale things and getting like well-versed with the e-collar is a game changer because that's just it. Like my leash handling at this point, I think is pretty developed. Um, I can adequately, I think, kind of roll with the punches. That client, no way, because they've been getting dragged around by their dog or dogs, the history of owning dogs, for their whole life. And their concept of what kind of pressure to use is going to be blown out. They're like completely irrelevant. So being able to roll with something that is less physical from the handler is really important. And while the person who's asking, if they're asking as a professional, who's like struggling with a client's dog, you're going to have to like troubleshoot that dog in front of you. But you have to remember who's going to be handling that dog in three weeks or two weeks, or even later that afternoon after the lesson and realize that they don't have the same amount of leash time under their belt. And just because it's successful for you doesn't mean it's successful under the umbrella. So like that e-collar stuff and keeping it like real simple and that's why I said, like, reevaluate, like, it was what we're working on that significant. Like, you talked about a dog that's so reactive, it's, like, endangering its life over things. Okay, cool. Is working on sit today the end of the world? Yes or no? Like, can we roll on to something else and work on something that's relevant to the root cause? That's kind of how I look at it. And it's something that, I mean, I've continued to try and, like, bounce things off of people. 
um, you know, learn from other trainers because everyone's got tips and tricks and yeah. yeah. Like that's like the, I mean, the one of the things that we we're constantly hearing over here too, like, you know, the adaptation of who like dog trainer talk versus, you know, like normal people talk. So like a lot of times, like people always ask, like, oh, I get tons of questions about like, you know, why I don't use like negative reinforcement with the e-collar, like for my pet dogs or for the pet people we have, like, you know, stimming them into positions, like the knee popo stuff. And I was like, dude, was like, I can barely get a person to reward on the correct time. Like, yeah. why the fuck am I going to teach them to correct their dog into a position yeah. and no, not reward at the same time? I was like, do as a dog trainer, do I have to know that? Yeah, I know about that. I know what we can do in the process of it. But as teaching a pet owner, it's hard enough to get people to show up to lessons. Yeah, lessons they've paid for, and you're sitting <laughs> on your thumbs, or like in follow up of a board and train where it's like, hey, you have X amount of lessons. Please give me a call. Let me know if you're struggling. And then you finally meet with them, and they go, man, the last three months I've had this, 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 this. And it's like, why didn't you pick up the phone? And I know they go both ways, but when I send yep. a text and you just say, hey, things are all right, things are great. What info do I have? You know what I mean? So like, that's just it is you, you hit it right on the head. They're dog owners that want to enjoy their dogs. That's how I try to look at this. They do not want to necessarily open that book and learn how to be a dog trainer. Yeah. So like, yeah, just making that training work for that end user. Definitely. And even now, like, you know, even with dog training, we're, you know, we, I mean, like you said, James, like uh, bad Jake, you said, like, we're still, we still talk to each other as dog trainers and, learn stuff from each other and you know still do those things i mean there's just so much other stuff out there so i mean there's quite a bit there so answer to that just adapt to the dog all right there's like i'm trying to just pick the ones that we have or pick the better ones that we have i like this format a lot better than instagram live Dude, that's yeah, why i started doing this nice. one Ideally, or realistically, probably for when, um, oh, we lost Jake again. He's going to pop back oh, in a second. Again. All right. I was making sure I had, my phone was dying, so. All right. Yeah, this format, is, I mean, I like it just because I think, like, there's, like, the fact that there's not really a time limit. We're not having to rush through questions and all that stuff. And, uh, and honestly, it's just an excuse for me to hang out with my dog friends, so. That <laughs> pretty makes much it makes it easier. So I don't know if you guys use this stuff, but so this person asked the question is like, do you use food for your uh, commands at youth outside in training sessions? So basically I think what they're asking as far as like, do you get, carry the food out while you're out walking and, you know, doing other stuff with the dogs? Like for me, like I use food for all of like most of my training or majority of it, especially young dogs. Um, that's how they eat. You know, they eat through like their our training sessions. I don't always use them that way. Uh, I, don't, I don't always use it that way. Sometimes because the dogs understand what I want from them at that point. Um, but typically, I mean, I mean, I use food or tug or a ball or just you know depends on what I'm working on. What what I do is I I train for the situation versus expect for the situation. So if I want a certain thing rather than expecting them to just know. I work them through it, uh, show them, and once they know the expectations, then I don't have to use food or whatever as much. 
I have a, a two like sided approach to that, I guess. So like board and trains, we're using a ton of food throughout the day. We're reinforcing the hell out of stuff. And then we do turn that table to like, once we have learned behaviors, we're reinforcing excellence and then we kind of wean off. I do tell every single client in a send home, carry a treat with you on a walk because there will be something worth paying for every single walk. It does not hurt to throw a treat in your pocket. And the whole idea of, well, my dog's trained now, he doesn't need it. So what? Like I'm an adult now, I still would like to get paid when I go to work. And so get that dog out there and find something on that walk that they did great. Ask them to do something just cause and pay it. But like keep that value cross in both ways. And then on the reverse, so like my personal dogs, um, because they're sport specific and that's life, like Ty up until he retired, Monjuring was it. Like he doesn't have any other training. Same thing with Pooch. Um, it's not applicable. Like I don't take those dogs on walks. I take them out on training sessions. So like food, ball, tug, like that's life, the end. And we look at it that day that there's no food or no ball. That was a trial. Like that was a blip in their training schedule. And then those things come back and it's all about managing the peaks and trying to keep the dog mystified on why that one time there was that fluke where I didn't get paid whatever, and then move past it. So, you know, on the pet dog side, I tell people always have a treat with you because why not? And even on stuff in the house, uh, a family had asked me, is it okay that we still, after the board and train, give them a treat for going to his crate? Yeah, for sure. Like, as long as you remember and you got them in the pantry, pay it because why not? And then those times where you don't, he's more likely to still go to the crate because he has this long reward history of it. And just looking at, again, the, like, functionality of who's using the training, that treat also makes that person feel good. They want to give their dog treats and toys and attention, like, on the pet side. So why not? Like, enjoy having your dog. You're using that crate. That'll probably help that dog not bark in the backyard from the question earlier. And, like, you can still use food, and it's fine. Like, no one says at age three and a half after a training program, your dog may never have a treat again. Robot. And a lot of people think that way, though. Yeah. Oh, it's it's crazy, man. I there. So like Nino, we had a Nino, uh, Nino Duarte, the STS canine um, guy, and we he came over here, uh, and he was saying something in like one of the like, seminars. I was one of my guys actually told me later, and then because we constantly use food, and like Nino had said, he's like, you know, I guess in the seminar I was like, hey, it's like, who told you when to stop luring? Like when is it when do you stop luring when do you stop you know working for food when do you stop doing all these things like but like why do you why would you stop doing those things you know it's something that's you know it's kind of the same thing like what you know magic was saying it's like you know it's fucking that they're not robots they're not programmable once they learn the behavior it's fine like for me even with some of the dogs i have now who obviously like know the, their stuff like i'll still include luring for food you know through their daily routines and daily stuff that we do just because it's fun stuff to do with my dogs um, and even with like the boarding trains, you know, the beginning, like we focus heavily on lore and then we fade the lore. And then once they understand those things, I'll even like go back to Lauren if I want to tighten certain things up or create a new, create a new, um, position or behavior. Um, and you know, the same thing, like when we have like, a, cause we do tons of behavioral cases, you know, if I get a good eye contact when we're walking down the street, especially like in our area, cause everyone has off leash dogs all the fucking time, you know, I'll make sure like I'll reward that here and there. 
um, what, you know, a treat or food, you know, whatever it is, but you know, we build that up as we go. So. Well, and so that's just it. You just proved my point. There's always going to be something worth paying for. Yep. yep. 100%. Yes. 100%. All right. So uh, this is a good question as well, but I want to make sure you guys get in depth on this one. What is Mondio ring? I feel like that's something that like a lot of people, especially like, you know, we have 266 people on the stand now. It's like, you know, there a lot of people don't understand the sport and like, or don't understand sports in general. And especially like on the West coast, I mean, I think only down South has like Mondio ring. I think there's like one or two clubs down there, but up here we have nothing. Um, so I'll let you guys take this one out with that. <laughs> All right. I, I would say monitoring is the, like you have to generalize everything and you have to get your dog to use to like pretty much every environment because you never know what the field's going to look like. You never know what's going to be thrown at you. So you literally have to train for everything. So even like broader Mondiering is a internationally sanctioned working dog sport uh, recognized by FCI and it has its own uh, monitoring commission under FCI. FCI is the entire like international umbrella organization that governs um, breed registries, dog sports, the judging, the rules, the everything of international dog. And so monitoring is a working dog sport that judges dogs in obedience, jumps, and then protection exercises. And so what we were talking about earlier answering questions is the monitoring program Level one, level two, level three, those levels have a set group of exercises in them. So when we're training a dog for that sport, I train those jumps how they have to be. I train the obedience exercises how they have to be. And so that's what I was saying about like the difference between real and sport. My dogs, I compete in sport. They just know that program for that sanctioned sport that I've chosen to compete in. I like competing in monitoring because there is an international world championship. I like that there is that level of competition to aspire to. Uh, sports like PSA don't have a international championship yet. Some of the other sports, French Ring has in this country, or at least in this continent, they have an intercontinental cup, but it's not a world championship event. But so there are, in that broad picture, various working dog sports that all include some or all of those elements, jumping, biting, obedience, but in different frameworks. And so like Jake said, Mondioring, Mondioring is a game of generalization. So you have those set exercises, but that field is going to look different every single trial. It's themed different. The exercises will be in different places. And then they're even in randomized order. You do not know the order of those exercises till you show up at that trial that day. So it prevents you from creating certain patterns with dogs, and it really tests your dog training skills. Then you have the generalization that even goes further beyond that. One of the exercises is the retrieve of a thrown object. You must throw the object at least five meters. There may or may not be a line. If you do not cross that five meters, depending what judge you talk to, some like Jake Schneider will give you a zero on the whole exercise yeah. because, well, Jake's a, a serious kind of guy. He's like he, back. He, he was my mentor. So Jake yeah. Schneider was. <laughs> he, 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 but at the World Championship in Russia two years ago, Leanne Shinton, 
she can't throw shoes. You can ask her about it. And they took a point deduction, allowed her to rethrow. But so outside of you stand here, you throw something five meters and your dog goes and gets it. What that thing is and whether you throw it over something, in something, behind something, you don't know. And one of my favorite retrieve items that was just gross was one of those natural coral sponges. And they came out with a five gallon bucket full of water and you reached in and got this gross, soggy sponge. You threw it your five meters and your dog had to go get it. Okay, well, your dog loses points for chewing and it's a timed 30 second exercise. So from the time that you say retrieve, they gotta go get it, come back within 30 seconds. One command, one command only. Any additional command, it is a zero. So when you're talking about generalization, you need to retrieve empty bottle, deodorant stick, knotted up t-shirt. Like your dog has to be so generalized into I pick up and confidently hold everything under the sun. And then they need to see that item thrown over hay barrel or hay bales between barrels on a tarp that's slippery. Like you have to show the dog so much stuff. So that's what makes Mondurin really interesting to me. But uh, one of the more interesting things about it is there are other ring sports. There's French ring and there's Belgian ring who also have bite work exercises, obedience exercises, and jumps, and they each have their own intricacies. Mondio ring comes from the French ring uh, or the French word for world, mont, and it allows people uh, to compete in a like common sport who train in either of those other disciplines. So people that train in French ring and compete in Mondio ring and their handling and things like that will not put them at a disadvantage. They still have a hurdle, they still have a long jump, they still have a palisade, they have jumps that are familiar, the bite work exercises, if you have chosen to generalize with your dog will be familiar, and the same thing for Belgian ring. So it's borrowed all these elements from these other sports and created this international conglomerate sport that can be competed in by many people. Um, this past year's world championship, I was the team captain for Team USA, it was in Poland, and there's something like 32 or 33 countries present. Like, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. And, uh, you know, it's one of the more fun sports, in my opinion, that have a lot of history behind it. That's like the one, uh, what, so, you know, as far as like the foundation bites, as far as like, cause I know like in like a uh, French ring, predominantly it's always lower leg in the lower stages, right? Uh, our leg in the lower stages. Doesn't matter. It, it can go wherever. They just got to bite the suit, period. Um, the rules of the decoy are different between all the sports. And so there's some stuff that people that primarily train French ring are going to be training because it's relative to their sport and same with Mondurin. And there are some things that sketch me out on the receiving end. Pivots um, or excuse. Yeah. So like in Mondurin, you cannot just like book it and dodge the dog on the entry of the bite. That's one of the most impressive parts of French ring is the athleticism of those decoys and dodging or esquiving the dog on entry and repeatedly making them. Hit. And so when you get these dogs that have been kind of prepared for multiple sports that may target differently, um, things start to get interesting. The front of the jacket high center line is pretty common in French ring as a target that's taught for the return from the esquive. You get a dog that misses on entry, and then that decoy is going to try to bait him to a leg or an arm or something and make another esquive. This center line is moving a lot slower than an arm or a leg or whatever. Well, in Mondurin, 
we are supposed to stay within a one meter wide by two meter deep space on entry. We got nowhere to go. And you got a dog that's coming at that high target. If you don't read it very well, that might be your face. And the 2017 National Championship, Joaquin Dovat got his whole chin bit. Good face bite that came out for the weekend. Um, that wasn't necessarily like a trained technique thing. That dog came up and over an accessory. Uh, but it is one of those things that like I became very aware of as I just chronically got hurt more and more and more was that I need to be real thoughtful about what I'm doing standing downfield beyond just like the, you know, exercise I'm performing that second. But so monitoring in a hole is a really cool international sport. And, uh, you know, we got a pretty good thing going in this country. We got 24 active clubs right now across the country. Um, U.S. Monitoring Association hosts a national championship every year, and they are the national governing body for that sport. And they are a member of AWDF, and that is our pathway into international competition. Nice. And I like that. I, I, I talked when I think one of the first times we talked, uh, Bad Jake, was that you explained to me, like, the scoring system of it. Like, as far as, like, you know, you can watch it if you know the scoring system. And you can actually score as like the judge would score through it if you like you and you in detail like that was like the cool thing because I thought I thought about I thought about that after we talked I was like yeah I was like you know similar to like you know any other sport like you know oh they you know basketball they do this or like you know this they get a point like those are all things that I think that's pretty cool as well. Well, and so that's one of my arguments. Like, so I've competed at level three with two different dogs. Um, I put up some really good scores, put some really bad scores. I competed all across the board, you know. But so as a competitor, knowing those rules enables me to handle my dog in the most advantageous way possible. And so each exercise in the rule book has a table of deductions beneath it. And so that's like an arguing point I have with that judge, Jake Schneider, taking the full exercise. His explanation to me was it says you must throw five or more meters for the throne retrieve. And so therefore he interprets that as if you didn't throw up five, you can't perform the exercise zero. But I, as a competitor, look at that deduction table. It's not in there. There's the deduction for a repeated command, which is zero. There's a deduction for chewing. There's a deduction for if it times out over 30 seconds, but nowhere does it say did not throw five meters, zero points. And so I've been able to compete rather heavily with my older dog and do fairly well being very versed on what deductions are possible and letting that guide my training. So I didn't get hyper-focused on something that doesn't matter or creating some other problem that would roll downhill because I focused on some little thing. I knew with Ty that I was forever going to lose my outs, like forever. I walked on that field knowing that I was like 20 to 30 points down every single time because of dirty bites and outs. Um, rather than beating him up about outs, because then he just wouldn't bite. I just got smart on obedience and jumps and tried to make up points wherever I could. And that's the game side of it. Like Ty's not a super serious dog. He's definitely not a police candidate. He's not a personal protection candidate, but like I was realistic about the dog I had and I was able to compete at all those levels level one, two, and three, and also in French ring and just manipulate my handling to make it the most advantageous that it could be for that dog. So like I was never upset with a low score and I look at, and like you just said, like as the routine was going, I'm like, okay, that was normal. This is normal. That's not. And 
work through it. So that's the cool thing. But I was playing a game. I wasn't getting like hyped up that I was trying to build this like monster. He bites, he bites how he bites, and then I had other things to worry about. And uh and so like you know, I know like in French ring too, they the the actual the handler can deduct points from the score. Same in Mondio. Okay. You do something dumb, see ya. Um there's a procedure for each and every exercise. Additional commands take points. Improper stuff like conduct takes points. And this is interesting, and I definitely know this. Your conduct at a trial the entire day can deduct points. You could have finished competing at 10 a.m., your score sheet's on the fence, and at 4 p.m. or 4 p.m., you're booing Jake while he's on the field. A judge can leave the field, go take your score sheet, and take points for sportsmanship. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's the whole day. I've never lost those points, but I've been suspended from the organization twice. I know the bylaws. I know the disciplinary process. And I'm just going to say that those are points that your dog did their job. Don't rob him by being a judge. <laughs> Hence why he's named Bad Jake. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I failed my first two times trialing for Mondeering because uh, handling skills, like it was just all handling. Like that's, you have to, you have to know that stuff going into it. I saw the same guy fail by about the same amount of points two days in a row at a trial. He lost 22 points the first day for not respecting the judge's direction. And he lost the same 22 points the next day for the same thing plus additional points. When you watch Mondering and French Ring videos, you'll hear a horn, like an awuga honk honk horn. That is the judge signaling for the exercise to progress. You have a prep line, then honk, you move to the departure line, the start line, the exercise happens, and depending on what exercise, there may be signals for you to do certain things. So people who don't train with horns and or just don't understand the when and the why, if you do those things before the judge told you to do them, you're gonna have a problem. Yeah. So this person, he would do his prep, he would tell his dog sit and be like, all right, it's the retrieve. And then he would just heal to the next line. And the judge would be like, I guess you were ready. Honk. And then same thing. They would get to the line. And before the judge honked for you to throw, he'd have already thrown it. And then they can't have you send the dog till the thing stops. So it's rolling and tumbling. And he already sent his dog. And the judge, same thing. Well, fuck me. Honk. And like that guy lost every horn, every line. And that was at level one. You have to pass with 160 out of 200. So like he already was down 22 points. If the dog was perfect and his dog wasn't. So like he robbed his dog of passing score two days in a row by just not slowing down, slow down and not being familiar with how the field operated. And that falls under one of those things like training with other groups. I've trained a lot of places where they don't train with horns and they have members that are prepping for trials. They're like, I don't know what that means. And like, like, really is an issue. We spend a lot of money as competitors and decoys flying over the country doing this stuff. No one pays you to play dog sports. You know what I mean? Like you do it because you want to do it. Read the book. The PDF of the rules is on usmondyring.org. The PDF of the rules is on ringsport.org for French ring. Uh, the PSA rules are available. In the, like 
it's not some secret code you have to go find on a treasure map. You can click, click, click on Google and you can have the most recent, you know, sanctioned rules. And if you're an expert of those rules, no one can rob you of those points. And I've had judges take points from me. And then I later contested and showed that like procedurally this was incorrect. And in some cases I received those points back because it genuinely was wrong. So like, you gotta know the stuff. Yeah, that's I mean, that's one of like the cool things I like about you know that that sport in general is the fact that you guys it is really structured in the matter of like it can be scored pretty evenly and like you know just like we just said you can actually like a like present this show them the video show them what happened like you know he they did everything they needed to be doing but you know for some reason the judge didn't adhere to like whatever like the actual rules were in particular at that point in time. So like if they don't see something, they didn't see something. And I've gotten points taken from me, though, that were, like, super, super BS. Uh, Dominique Patone, who gave Jake a four in his decoy book, and that ain't a good thing. Um, he told me I was – Smokes a pipe. Yeah, he told me I was speaking to my dog during healing. I was like, I definitely didn't open my mouth, like, for sure. But he took my points for healing, saying that I was speaking and giving supplemental commands. And I was like, no, like, for sure my mouth was closed. But – he thought he saw or heard me speaking. So like I lost it. And then on the reverse, I've, you know, made a mistake that maybe a judge didn't see and whatever, like uh, Dave Croyer, who's a judge has told me, you know, when playing all these sports, either is or isn't your day. And so sometimes an error that you might've done 10 trials before not knowing was wrong, got you today. And that's just how it rolls. Like you gotta learn this stuff, read the rules better. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a that was one thing. I had a guy apprentice under me for a little while. He was a French ring guy over at Jimmy's and uh, Jimmy Van Hove uh, in Santa Cruz, and that was like the one thing like they were so particular on. That's one thing I like, really like respected. Like what Jimmy did with him was it with the uh, if he like messed up on something, it's like all right, you need to read the rule book again. Like you need to you need to go through this. You need to go and like look at this again because you know you're gonna make your dog you know fail uh, on their trials. And like I always thought that was like really cool in that uh, in that aspect. Like it was like that structured there. French ring is two different healing exercises, off-leash with muzzle and on-leash. Your leash may not be touching your dog's back. And at the Intercontinental Cup two years ago, the handler for level one from Canada sat there for 30 seconds holding his leash, his dog on the leash with it looped onto the back, and he had 30 seconds to reset, and it would have been a point reduction. At that 30 seconds, Hong Kong zero for the whole exercise. You cannot commence with that leash touching your dog's back. and so that's the kind of stuff where like that dude didn't know. That's crazy. And I got to the first time I competed was under Chad Hunter as a French ring judge. And he was really great during dog and white for the first time competitors. If it's not right, reset it. I'm going to take the yeah. point, but like understand that you don't have to stand there deer in the headlights and blow a whole exercise. So like, that's the other thing is when you show up to these trials, nobody's out there to get you. The decoys aren't out to get you. The judges aren't out to get you. So like these communities, again, no one's paying anyone to be there, are actually really supportive. It might be intimidating because you might not know some stuff or you might be, you know, new to the sports. But like that judge didn't have to do that for all of our first time handlers. He chose to. He chose to sit down, answer questions and discuss the program of the day. I've had monitoring judges do that. Um, yeah, I mean, these sports are really cool in my opinion. I, I definitely, I think they definitely provide a lot of structure for a lot of people, and you know, a good outlet for a lot of dogs for sure.
and a good try. I mean, just trialing in general, you know, helps show what a dog can actually do. Uh, so another uh, one question I wonder if you guys know, I get this question a lot too. So what is the decoy certification process look like for Mondio? They're writing a new certification currently, but the certifications that Jake and I did don't exist anymore. Um, just you have written all past. I have to say is don't get a new suit before you do it. <laughs> Hand in rain. That yeah. was Jake did his level two in like sheets of downpouring rain with a suit he had never been bitten in. And I'll get back to why that's really a bad idea. But there's a written test and you have to pass a minimum score on the written test to progress onto the physical. At level one and two, uh, the percentage of passing gets harder. So I think it's 80% or was 80% for level one and you had to pass a 90% for level two. That written doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but then the physical, when we did it, was two 500 meter runs, a run that was hurdles in the suit and then a slalom. Yeah. And then when I did my level two, they had changed it to the two 500s, the hurdles, the hurdles are in the suit by the way. And then um, they were talking about changing it to a suit slalom. The level three certification is only done at the international decoy selection at the world championship. And that's a one kilometer run and then a slalom in the suit. All scored for points. There's a point table, you know, minimum point to pass, whatever. And then on the practical side for level one and two, you are doing the entire ring three program additionally with a level one stick attack. And um, for my level one, you also had to do like a scale, the level one defense and a level three defense. My level two was the same way, but then for super selection, our international decoy selection, you do the entire level three routine, but you do two accessory attacks back to back. Um, and it's all running like congruent. So you do stick attack, two accessory attacks, you do a defense, you do a flea attack, you do the object guard, you do the search and escort. Like you're out there doing like nine or 10 exercises cruising and you're being scored on the accuracy to the rules. So, you know, it's all about knowing those rules, whether you're a decor or a handler. Um, so that's the certification process. And you're certified under a judge and then under a panel of another certified decoy. And again, like they're updating this because every year there was some kind of issue that they're trying to fix and progress, move forward. Yeah. But, yeah. Because the, when I got my level two certification, I was the only guy running in in the rain with a brand new suit that made it a lot more challenging than why when i certified as a level one decoy and it Jumping was in with a brand new suit yeah with four other guys you know where i was able to take a breather and whatnot you know so it yeah it's, well, it's different something that like is leading towards these changes though so for international selection the points awarded for the physical are a sliding scale. So the first place finisher, that's 20 points, and then it runs down the way. Here, because sometimes you might only have one decoy certifying, they just have a point table. They did a revised point table last year, and to get 20 points, you have to be Usain Bolt. And like the minimum pass score was insane too. I was on the panel for David Broderick's level two, 
and he's the current USMRA president, and he like smoked the run. Like he was cruising. And I look at the stopwatch and I'm like, you literally almost failed by a quarter of a second. Like it was so tight. And it's just like, this is ridiculous. This dude not huffing and puffing, like breathing good, blazed this thing, smoked the slalom. And I'm looking at these times, it's like, who can run these? And so that's been like a consistent issue with doing it here. International selection, when there's, you know, 60 of us doing it, all right, well, you can, you know, make your points off that. Or some years there's like 20 or 30. You still have enough of a spread to make that sliding scale. Whereas here, like Jake said, you know, you, you're the only one out there. So who are they going to score you against? You got to follow those, uh, that the, like you said, the rules on that. That's always interesting. I remember like, that was like the first time like I talked to Jake about, because um, at that point, when I think when I first met, uh, you know, good Jake was, I think I had been almost a decade out of like any form of sport or anything like that. And things were much different back then. And, you know, when I talked to Jake, he's like, yeah, it's like, you know, you got to do a physical test. You got to do a written test. You got to do this and like all that stuff. I was like, I thought that was really cool. Cause I mean, like for me, like I always stress, you know, especially like with my guys, like the importance of uh, being a decoy, especially a trial decoy. Cause you know, one, you got to test the dog, but you also got to make sure the dog is safe and you're safe as well. You know, so that's like one of the cool things I really like respect about Mondia was the fact like, you know, there is that level of rules and judgment and understanding and just like qualifications to be a decoy out in the field with, you know, these dogs who are people are, you know, like you said, no one's getting paid to do this stuff. It's you're flying somewhere, you're driving somewhere, you, you're paying tons of, you're paying your trainers, your club to train a dog and then put them on the field against this person they've never seen before or they probably haven't seen before. And then, you know, now they're, now they're, your dog's life is in their hands. So I thought that was a really cool thing when, uh, you know, uh, Good Jake was telling me about that. So I was like, damn, I was like, cool. Like, at least these people are, you know, fucking like taking, you know, every extra step to make sure that the people are qualified, they're catching the dogs or doing a good job and, you know, actually qualified for it. The issue that I think the USMRA struggled with has been, again, with that point table and trying to like draw the line. So in Russia, I ran the best slalom in the suit I've ever ran. I think it's 160 meter slalom. And I came in second to last place on that physical exam. First place to me was a spread of eight seconds. I didn't get lapped. There wasn't 30 seconds between us. Eight seconds. Jesus Christ. So when then they're trying to revise point tables here and they have this like 35 second spread, but again, full points is like Olympian sprinter and passing is still cooking. Like it's just, it's like making it harder than it needs to be. And yeah. we have a really good decoy committee that like is taking the time, I think during all this Corona stop to really work hard on this stuff. So I think it's going to be continuing to evolve, but like that was just something that, you know, I prepped, I did three selections in like 11 months and it was just like, as I was prepping and things would change, it was like, come on, like, I need to know what the goal is. And I found the international system to just be like way more realistic because it was about the performance. When you did those seven exercises plus the two accessory attacks, they wanted to see you run from start to start, like be ready on time, on time, everywhere, and like get that stuff done, not huffing and puffing. That's important. I am not running a 160 meter slalom in a suit and a trial, but I have to be on time and I have to be to my spot to do my exercises. So like trying to find that middle ground of like, 
what's applicable and what isn't, what's gratuitous. Yeah. That was one thing. I think it was my second trial that I ever did was like, Hey, you need to be on time. You need to hustle your spot. So that's one thing that I've carried on when I do work. It's like, no, no one's waiting on the decoy. You know, no one's waiting on me. I'm going to be there and I'm going to be ready to go. You know, Except that one time in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> and Jake has his jacket off. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I will say nationals though, me and Jake like sprinted on and off the field. And then the decoy high, like the tent for us, has to be five meters away from the fence with a closure. And they put this like pop-up tent, I don't know, 40 meters off the farthest corner. Like we had this super long, maybe 160 meter sprint just to get out there to report in. And I was coming off this big injury. And I hadn't been able to do any cardio for like four months. I had my whole leg in a rather wild robotic apparatus. And I was puking when I would get back to the pop-up because like it was hot. I'm wearing my black bad Jake suit and sprinting. <laughs> and like, you know, someone's like, oh, are you okay? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm just living my best life here, throwing up. That was 14, San Diego, right? Yeah. 14 yeah. level one dogs in a row. Puked, a puked, a puked, a puked. A lot. That's what that's right after you left our anniversary, right, Jake? Uh, good Jake? Yeah. So that was one of the best trips that I've taken. I went to San Francisco, picked up my suit that was there from a seminar that I did, went down, visit you you guys for a while. Then I went and did uh the USMRA nationals. So it was it was a good time. I spent like a week and a half out there. Yeah, that's fucking. That that was a, that was actually a, a pretty that was a fun time. Yeah, it was. I think like that's like right after that, so I started talking to Bad Jake, and then he, he had to send send me uh, some information as to why he was suspended right after. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, well shit, guys. Um, yeah, I want to thank you guys for being on here. Um, obviously, I want to plug everything that you guys do. Um, so good, Jake. True loyalty uh, out in Minnesota. Great, you know, decoy and everything like that. Uh, obviously, these guys are all great guys. Uh, you know, Jake Scott, Heights K9. You have another company too, right, Jake? I got a couple. I got a couple. Um, I have Esquire Arms. We sell some guns. I have Heights K9. We train some dogs. I so. saw that video you posted on, like, it was like one of the like, memory videos you posted on uh, Facebook. Of you had like you're out with like a rifle and you had like the the vest on. I was like, oh shit! I was like, Bad Jake's got some guns over there, man. Yeah, we do some stuff, but you uh, have snakes too. Yeah, Jake stayed at my old house when I was also Jake the Snake. Like Jake the Snake, <laughs> yeah. doing it up. The man, <laughs> the man of many businesses. Yes, sir. Well, shit, guys. Let me cheers you guys and then. Cheers, guys. Thanks for being on. Cheers. My water. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so check these guys out. Uh, all the links are on the Q&A part here. Um, and then next week, or actually not even next week, in like two days, we're doing the, the Working Dog Radio Crew. So that'll be fun. But I'm going to get you guys back on here. And then um, Ray Allen Codes, Drinks and Dogs, Temperson Off. And yeah, guys, I appreciate you guys being on. I'm sure the PCU team is going to hit you guys back in a second, but 
I just saw a question tab on here where people asked questions. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, you didn't see that? Are you full screen? Now I am. Yeah, no, they, they, uh, so Ron, or for people who are watching this, there's a back end team to this. Um, and they, they, Roman, uh, was answering those ones, or at least four to one. And then we lost, we lost Kajig again. Oh, look, there he is. I'm back. I, I got to answer this one real quick because it's been blowing me up all week. Uh, not this guy, but this one about marking during detection. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. You have to work how your dog knows how to learn. So if your dog knows markers, use them. Don't just bomb them with a toy. That doesn't mean anything. If your dog doesn't know markers, click or verbal, bomb them with a toy and teach them that way. Simple. That's the easiest answer I've given to anything tonight. Yeah. That was the, the cliff notes, the extreme cliff notes of a, a bad Jake answer. But it's the reals. Like if your dog doesn't know something, don't use it. If your dog knows something, use it. Yeah. That's just ask uh, Bad Jake about the uh, Israeli army and prepare for about. Well, so you posted something wrong. And I had to immediately jump on there because there's some people out there that don't even speak Hebrew that'll try to tell you some things about the IDF. So I had to just jump in real quick. And then I was like, bro, like, I can't just write all this. And I laid it down for you how it works. It was. And it was like I think it was like one in the morning, like my time. I think it was like something super late my time, and then like Bad Jake's like he's taking like an amazing amount of information. Like I have not been yeah. informed like on anything like that through anything in social media, and probably even some videos and like books I've read. But like I'm literally sitting in bed and like some, I was going to sleep, and I'm like I listened to like the first audio message that he sends me. And then, like, we go through, I was like, oh, fuck, well, I'm not sleeping. We're going to listen to this shit for a long fucking time. I sat there and I went through, like, the time he spent to fucking go there. I was like, oh, no, I got to respect this motherfucker. He's like, he's doing, like, all this shit, like, to the T, explaining everything. I'm like, I am going to listen to this. It, was, it had to be, I mean, I don't know. It was quite a bit of time. I don't remember how much it was, but it was definitely a lot of information. Well, so like the IDF is something that all these people think's like some mystical thing. I served with a ton of dudes from California and the IDF, and I served with a ton of dudes from countries all around the world. But so it's one of the things that you hear the most BS about where people like say these crazy outlandish things or just don't know how it works. So anytime I can set someone on the right path and share information because it's a really cool experience and it's a really awesome military and, you know, fight for good things. I jump on it. So you happen to hit that like target, like, you know, phrase where I'm like, I can't just let this drop. Like this has to. <laughs> and you do that with dogs too. Cause people are like, Jake's coming at me. I'm like, no, Jake's just coming at you with whatever's true. You know, so <laughs> if it's not like, like you're going to be set straight. <laughs> I have uh, no estimator. It's, it's either the real deal or it's nothing. I, that's how it should be though. I appreciate you having me, man. Nah, man, I appreciate you guys, man. You guys are awesome people, and you know, I'm sure everyone on here is gonna see that too. So make sure you follow the Jakes, Good Jake, Bad Jake. I'm sure the links are all on here. Um, again, you know, drinks and dogs will be something we're gonna do continuously. So get you guys back on here too. Um, but yeah, man, appreciate you guys. Uh, let you guys get back to uh, you know normal life <laughs> with all this stuff. But right on. Thanks, guys. Oh,